It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll A get through it. social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. Uniting to fight the foes we face, anger, resentment and hatred, extremism, lawlessness, violence, disease, joblessness and hopelessness. With unity, we can do great things, important things. We can right wrongs. We can put people to work in good jobs. We can teach our children in safe schools. We can overcome the deadly virus. We can reward reward work and rebuild the middle class and make health care secure for all. We can deliver racial justice and we can make America once again the leading force for good in the world. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. The battle is perennial, and victory is never assured. Through Civil War, the Great Depression, World War, 9-11, Through struggle, sacrifice, and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together 
to carry all of us forward. And we can do that now. History, faith, and reason show the way, the way of unity. We can see each other not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. We can join forces, stop the shouting, and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury, no progress, only exhausting outrage, no nation, only a state of chaos. This is our historic moment of crisis and challenge, and unity is the path forward. And we must meet this moment as the United States of America. If we do that, I guarantee you we will not fail. We have never, ever, ever, ever failed in America when we've acted together. And so today, at this time, in this place, let's start afresh, all of us. Let's begin to listen to one another again, hear one another, see one another, show respect to one another. May God bless America and may God protect our troops. Thank you, America. Hail to the chief, he's the chief and he needs hailing. He is the chief, so everybody hail like crazy. Hail to that's more or less. To the chief, if you don't, I'll have to kill you. I am the chief, so you better watch your step. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we all wake up to a new president today. Those were some excerpts from yesterday's inaugural address by newly elected uh, President Joe Biden, um, who uh, took the oath of office uh, yesterday, just before noon. And uh, so today is the first full day of a new presidency. And uh, as for his theme of, of unity, heck, I've been trying to do unity on this show for more than a decade. We'll see how it goes with a president who's at least speaking the same language. In any event, we have a great show in store. We're going to start out um, every year at this time. It's uh, National Schools uh, Choice, Schools of Choice Week. Um, National School Choice Week, I guess, is the way to say it. And uh, so we visit with the uh, head of National School Choice Week, Andrew Campanella, will be joining me by phone and uh, talk about... Uh, school choice, but also the impact of the pandemic on uh, various forms of education. And then we're going to talk with uh, Amy Friedman. She is uh, the founder of Pops Club, um, and uh, she has a new book called Dreamcatchers, and uh, we'll be talking about the impact of mass incarceration on kids, uh, talking about kids whose parents are locked up. And, uh, and then we'll talk about how to discover the life you were meant to live with the author uh, of, an, of a new book, 
She's no stranger to writing. Uh, she's been a reporter for a long time. But uh, Christina Daly has a new book called Tiny Little Boxes, How to Cope with Existential Dread by Way of Ice Cream and Other Means. And we'll uh, talk about ice cream and other means coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. Anyway, uh, we're going to start off with uh, Andrew Campanella, and he joins me in just a moment. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour has served as president of National School Choice Week since 2012. He's been a guest on the show frequently. His name is Andrew Campanella, and uh, he joins me now by phone. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, now, when this interview airs, it is actually National School Choice Week, um, but I'm curious about uh, how this this past year of, of 2020, or as I've heard some people refer to it as being 2020'd, um, how, how has that impacted schools, and in particular, schools of choice? Well, you know, the coronavirus and the effects on education are almost incalculable. Obviously, parents know that it's impacted them because their kids are going to school in person and then being told within maybe 24 or 48 hours notice that their schools are closing and they have to learn remotely. Some families send their kids to schools that have been remote for months. And parents are frustrated. They're appreciative of the work of teachers and administrators and school leaders, but everybody in this country wants things to get back to normal, and they want uh, to make sure their kids are learning, and that's why I said it's really incalculable, because we don't know how much learning loss has taken place right. over the last year. We don't know how much remedial work kids will need to get back to normal, and we don't know the psychological and emotional impacts that this year of somewhat isolation and crisis, uh, we don't know what those impacts will be on students across the country. So it's a challenging time. Now, in terms of schools of choice, we see all different schools out there approaching handling COVID in different ways, traditional public schools, public charter schools, magnet schools, private schools, online schools, and homeschooling. We're seeing a lot more interest in online public schools especially among families who want their kids to learn at home for health and safety reasons, but who say, listen, this emergency remote learning that was set up by our existing school just isn't working, we can't connect, uh, it's difficult to have kids sit in front of a, a camera all day and look at a screen, and these full-time online schools have been doing this for more than a decade, and they know how to get it done effectively. So we've seen a lot of interest in that, a lot of families switching to homeschooling, creating things like learning pods to help students learn um, in a way that's not so isolating. And so I think that as we come out of this, some of the things that parents have discovered about the choices they have and the opportunities they have to help augment their children's learning, those will hopefully continue, and that might be a bright spot in this. Uh, and and I was going to ask, and I think you kind of touched on it already, Andrew, but were there 
school choices that fared better during the last calendar year uh, under the pandemic than others? You know, here's what I'll say about that. All across the country, every single school, district, state, et cetera, has had a different approach. So I'm not one to say, okay, you know, traditional public schools did a better job than charter schools or private schools did a better, better job than magnet schools. I think that you can find examples of success and examples of challenges in each of the different types of schools. But what matters to individual families is did your child's school address this crisis in a way that helped your child keep learning, that made sure your child was motivated and inspired to stay involved in their own education, and did they communicate effectively with you as a parent as all this was going on? Unfortunately, a lot of families across the country say the answer to that is no. And 63% of parents said in a recent poll we took that they want to choose a different school for their child or they've looked for a new or different learning environment for their child. So parents are frustrated. I think that there's frustration all around. I know teachers are frustrated. They're worried. Administrators are frustrated. This is just a difficult time for everybody. And out of this, what we hope is that parents will be more informed, more involved, and more engaged in their kids' education moving forward when things go, quote, back to normal. Yeah, I, I guess what I was getting at is, is I was wondering if uh, parents who were already homeschooling their kids or uh, people that had already uh, settled their, their kids into online learning uh, programs, if they fared a little better. I think probably because they're used to the online schooling uh, setup that they've established with the online school that they've chosen, or they are homeschoolers and they're used to doing this. So in many cases, these students and these families didn't miss a beat. Um, you know, other people turn to them to get help and advice on how to navigate this, this new normal for their own children. So I would say yes, definitely. Um, the road was a lot easier this year for families who had opted for online schooling, full-time, year-round, tuition-free online schooling, or homeschooling their children. And I just want to point something out, too. A lot of people think that because a lot of kids are learning at home that everybody's a homeschooler now. But the reality <laughs> is, technically, technically, homeschooling is a legal definition. And if you want to be a homeschooling family, that means that you, as a mom or dad, direct your child's education. You have to unenroll your child from the school that he or she was attending, and you get to determine the curriculum, uh, you get to determine the instruction methodology, and you get to monitor your child's progress. You have to follow state law, but you're in charge completely and totally. Responsibility is on you. So there's a difference between a greater home-based supervision of your child's learning when your child's enrolled in a traditional public school or a charter school or even an online school where they're learning from home because of the pandemic and homeschooling, which is its own separate legal schooling structure. More with the president of National School Choice Week, Andrew Campanella, straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com.
Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with the president of National School Choice Week, Andrew Campanella, straight ahead. Um, and, and that raises uh, an interesting question. I'm glad you uh, dug down on that homeschooling a little bit. Um, but, but first, I want to uh, sort of underscore the fact that a lot of public schools faced uh, remote learning challenges uh, all of the sudden you know with with very little notice so if some of them struggled a little it, it's it's completely understood right they did and i will say this all types of schools struggled um especially the schools that are usually in person learning um some schools handled it better than others but if you tell any school or company or organization out there that within Two weeks, you're going to need to come up with a <laughs> entirely new system to impart information uh, on a an audience, which is essentially a group of students. It's going to be difficult for anyone. I know companies struggled with it, but when you talk about schools and students have to switch classes and have different teachers and different levels of homework, it's entirely uh, you know more complicated. And the other thing to think about is this. Not everybody has Internet access. And right. we, some of us, at least for me, you know, you would think, well, you know, I've had Internet access for a long, long time. Well, that's not the case for every family. And then not everybody has the devices needed to connect. And then if you have a family that has multiple children, maybe three or four kids, and they're in different grade levels, they all need to be online. They all need their own devices in order to comply with what their schools are requesting. And so... This has been really tough on families, really, really tough, and it's also been tough on schools. And so that's why when, when folks get upset about this, I say we need to give everybody a bit of a break here, especially families, because this has been absolutely the most challenging year um, that we, can, we could have never even comprehended. And so let's move forward once COVID is over. Let's come up with better ways to do things. Let's have better backup plans. Um, and let's give families as many options as possible so that if we find ourselves, God forbid, in a situation like this again, there are more seats in online public schools that students can avail themselves of. There is an easier process to enroll your child as a full-time homeschooler, things like that. And and for kids that have been full-time homeschooled, how do they transition to college? You know, colleges have, for the most part, all across the country, um, fully accepted homeschooling, uh, as they should, because homeschooling is legally recognized in each of the 50 states. Um, you get transcripts, you, um, you apply, you indicate that you are a homeschooler. Um, so in terms of academic transition, um, students who are homeschooled actually tend to do really well in college. Um, the studies show that homeschoolers uh, have required less remedial work in college than students who come from many bricks-and-mortar schools, which is pretty interesting. Um, and socially, I think that there are some old myths about homeschooling that, you know, that live on, which is that a lot of homeschoolers uh, don't have friends or they're socially awkward or things like that. <laughs> I think homeschooling families, the homeschoolers see more of other homeschoolers than, um, than in some cases, kids in bricks-and-mortar schools do. There's a lot of collaboration and interactivity and socialization um, between and among homeschooling families. And I heard one homeschooling mom told me, you know, 
I hear everybody say that that our kids don't get out of the house. I can't remember when my kid was in the house. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but that's something that parents have have come to address as part of their uh, methodology for for homeschooling. They they often get together with other homeschoolers and do field trips and. Oh, absolutely, and you know that is something that I find to be really inspiring is that the homeschooling community in the United States is one of the most um, tight-knit, supportive groups of people that I've ever met. They are willing to give the shirt off their back in terms of information and resources and help to other families. And homeschoolers don't fit into any mold. You get homeschoolers who homeschool because they want a religious curriculum, and you get homeschoolers who homeschool because they want their kids to learn more about the environment. It really runs the gamut. It's the most fascinating, um, most fascinating subset of education, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that that we do ourselves a disservice if we try to uh, put them all in one box. Now, moving uh, forward, you, you talked about how much parents and educators, how much all of us want to see things get back to normal, and we keep hearing about uh, a new normal. Is there a new normal for education overall? The biggest new normal we are going to see is that parents this past year have, because they've been forced to, been more engaged, more involved, and more informed about what's going on with their children's education en masse than at any other time in history. I mean, they were forced to. Even families who were very happy with their children's schools and very trusting of their children's teachers and school leaders, they had to get involved. They had to be engaged. And so I think the real new normal coming out of this is parents now see what their kids are learning, how their kids are learning, the materials their kids are learning with, and they're realizing, in some cases, how grateful they are for their children's schools, and in other cases, they've been awakened to the need for more options so that they can choose different learning environments for their kids. So I think the new normal that we will live with from this day forward or this awful year forward is that parents are going to be more involved and engaged we can never again say the challenges in education were the result of a lack of parental involvement or a lack of engagement. I've always thought that the best way to involve and engage parents was to give them more choices for their children's education. Well, apparently, a global pandemic also gets them more involved and engaged, too. I would have preferred the choice option. <laughs> well, and, and largely because, uh, because of the school uh, closures, um, a lot of parents have been forced to look at options um, and and maybe in some cases have had more time to explore options and consider options because of the pandemic. That may be, um, as you suggest, a, a silver lining in a very dark cloud. That's right. And here's what I'll say about that. You know, parents all across the country now can sympathize with the parents out there who for years have said, you know what, my child's school might be a good school, it might be high quality, but it's just not the right fit for my child, and I need a different option. I need something else, something that works better for my daughter or son. That's the way families in so many cases have felt this year. They liked their children's schools. They like 
their kids' teachers. They like that school, but for whatever reason, the way that some of these schools implemented emergency remote learning just didn't work for them. And so those parents said in great numbers, you know what, this might be a good school, but the way they've implemented this just isn't working for my child. We need another option. I don't think that's a criticism of individual schools. I don't obviously think that's a criticism of families. I think that's just a reality that more options and more schools that families can choose is a good thing for communities. It's a good thing for states. It's a good thing for the country because it allows people to find a good fit, whether or not they were, they were uh, frustrated and looking for better options before this pandemic or their eyes were open during this pandemic. We need more options for families. The result of having active choosing, parents actively choosing schools for their kids, is that kids are more likely to succeed, they're more likely to learn, and they're more likely to be happy. And who loses in that scenario? Nobody. At National School Choice Week uh, in uh, 2021 is uh, January 24th. Um, it's, it's basically the last week of... Uh, January, and I was trying to remember, Andrew, does it typically start on a Sunday? It does. It always starts on a Sunday. It's a full actual week. And so this year, January 24th is the 30th, and we usually have 50,000 events all across the country planned in partnership with schools and organizations and families. This year we're doing virtual projects with folks and we have spent the entire year building uh, what I believe is the most comprehensive set of resources anywhere online on our website for families who want to navigate all of their school choice options. We do not pick and choose for families. We don't preference one type of school over the other. We've got information for each of the 50 states. It's comprehensive, it's detailed, and it's practical with no jargon whatsoever. And you can go on this site, schoolchoiceweek.com, look at the options in your state, find out what they are, understand how to access them, and then we have a brand new Schools Near Me School Finder tool that you can use to find different schools in your area, which we just launched two weeks ago. And along with that, we've got worksheets that parents can fill out to help them narrow down schools on their list. So I'm super excited to launch these resources this year because it will be a virtual celebration of School Choice Week. I, to and, keep people healthy. And I was going to ask about that because, um, you know, during the, the past year, of course, everybody was hoping, you know, two more weeks, two more weeks, and, and things will be back to normal. Um, right. Did you have any idea as you were planning uh, for this year's celebration that so many schools would still not be back to, to full strength with uh, regard to in-person learning? Good question. Uh, here's what I'll say about that. We didn't know about schools themselves, but what we did know is that back in April or May, when we started looking at working with schools to plan things like school fairs, we identified then that um, – we were not going to be able to organize in-person events until there was a widely distributed vaccine because we didn't think it was safe and we didn't want to contribute in any way to um, this pandemic or suffering. And so we decided back then, instead of living with this, as you said, every two-week uncertainty, 
and trying to plan for things that would eventually be canceled. We were going to rip the Band-Aid off, embrace the uncertainty, and plan for a week of celebration that was online, virtual activity and project-based, and we were going to continually adapt to what was going on at our 25,000 participant schools. And I'm glad we made that decision as early as we did. Uh, some folks thought we were nuts for deciding to do that back in, I think, April or May. I'm glad we did, though. And um, I think that, you know, we've tried to be as respectful um, as possible to our participants and also as cautious as possible because the last thing we ever want to do is put anybody in harm's way um, and, you know, contribute to the spread of this virus. You know, when you see people gathering at big events and things like that, it's just the wrong thing to do right now. Have schools and parents, for that matter, uh, adjusted uh, sufficiently that this year um, they're, by and large, better prepared uh, for however long this, this drags out? I think that, you know, things have improved over time, but is it perfect? No. And, you know, I think it would have been um, wise for more schools all across the country to spend a lot of time over the summer doing more planning for this year. But I think that people just in many cases thought that this pandemic would go away or be over um, and that we wouldn't face the same challenges. And in many cases, schools just didn't have the funding to um, get themselves fully prepared for, for what was going on. And so I do sympathize with these schools. I think they are better prepared than they were um, last year, but still there are areas that frustrate families, no question. Yeah, what are some of the, some of the weak spots, and, and what can people do about it? Or, or should they just look at their options and say, well, these are still kind of weak. I think maybe it's time for us to do something different. I would say the, the biggest weak spot out of all this is the idea of having a kid sit in front of a camera all day and learning um, by watching eight hours or six hours of instruction. Um, that's a very, very challenging way of imparting information to a child, especially a young child. Um, I challenge anybody who's an adult who's listening to this to try to watch eight hours of instruction and see how quickly you get bored. And, uh, yeah. And so I I would say that that's the biggest challenge is trying to vary and differentiate the instruction so that it's not all online and there's some reading components to it and there's some activity components to it because you don't want this whole year to turn into one exercise in uh, shutting off that light bulb of, of inspiration for kids and making them feel that learning is the most boring thing on earth, because it's not. It's the most exciting thing on earth. And yet, if done the wrong way, or if overdone, you can really do some damage. And so that's my big concern coming out of this, is are kids going to really dislike school for a very long time? Hopefully not. Now with They're resilient. That- with National School Choice Week that that happens around this time every year, um, is is the primary goal one of of being somewhat promotional, a way of parading the options that people have, um, that parents have, 
for their children's educations? That's exactly right. So our goal is to help parents discover the options they have for their children's education, and that's what we do year-round and during the week itself. Year-round we develop resources and materials to help families, and we work with schools and partners to help them prepare for this week of activity, which is National School Choice Week. During the week itself is when we shine the biggest and broadest spotlight on school choice and all the different options out there in an entirely positive way so that families can look at their options, discover their options, and if they're really happy with their children's schools, talk about their own success stories because parents learn the most and take the best advice from other parents. So that's what we do. That's what we've been doing for the last 10 years. This will be our 11th year. We work with tens of thousands of schools out there, community organizations, homeschool groups, individual families, and it is an honor to work with them, and it's a joy. And every year we have fun helping people, and we invite anybody who uh, is interested in, in spreading the word about options for families to consider working with us. Um, all you got to do is post some things online and help spread the word. We're not political in any way. We're not advocating for legislation. We're not criticizing any one type of school. Um, we're all about positive awareness. And I'm just curious how you how you're able to gauge the reach of National School Choice Week to parents, and do you expect it to surge this year now that parents are sort of looking and paying attention? Sure. We look at a number of different things. One of the key factors we look at is how many parents download their uh, state school choice navigators, which we have available on our website for free at schoolchoiceweek.com. And this year we're hoping for more than a million families downloading uh, that information. We also gauge success based on interest in uh, from members of the news media, like yourself. And we gauge success in the number of school participants and organizational participants and the levels of activities they plan. And so our main goal is reaching as many families as possible with information and empowerment and inspiration. And so we base a lot of our, our success metrics around those things. And this year will look a little bit different. We have, I will tell you this, we have more than doubled our web visitation year over year wow. organically without spending a dime on advertising. Um, when the pandemic started, we came out with what I think was the first um, guide to how to help your kids learn during a pandemic that had links to resources and websites and tips and techniques and things like that, and we put that out, I think, in, in April or May, that became uh, one of the most linked to things we've ever done. Um, and then we continued. We were asked by several government agencies at the state and federal levels to put together a list of all of the different community centers and churches that had opened all across the country to let kids go there and learn online. We did that, put that out there. We put together um, helpful tips for educators about how to um, – effectively deploy emergency remote learning. Uh, we put together the definitive guide to the legalities around creating a learning pod, which is a term I'd never heard of in my life before <laughs> uh, pandemic. And we put that out there and we just deep dive state by state into what exactly parents need to do if they want to create one of these pods. Um, so yeah, we've seen a tremendous amount of interest and 
we did a poll and we asked families uh, all across the country, more than 2,000 people, a uh, scientific poll. 63% said that they, they are looking for new or different learning environments for their kids. So the interest is there. My guest is uh, Andrew Campanella. He is the president of National School Choice Week and has been since 2012. And uh, Andrew, I want to I want to thank you first for spending this time with me this morning. But as you know, I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. Now you mentioned the website uh, a moment ago, but I thought maybe this would be a good time to remind people of what that is. Absolutely. It's schoolchoiceweek.com. That's easy. Well, Andrew, thank you so much, and and good luck with uh, the rest of the week's activities. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Once again, that was uh, Andrew Campanella, the president of National School Choice Week, which is uh, going on all this week. And with that, we'll... uh, Take a break. We've got more of the Tom Sumner program straight in.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com 
is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The big thing I remember the most about uh, growing up as a child was kindergarten. Now, to me, the only thing, uh, kindergarten, the only good thing about it is that it teaches you how to say goodbye to your parents without crying. That's all. After that, forget it. They got nothing else for you to do. I remember standing in that schoolyard with 27 snowsuits on and uh, my idiot mittens, you know. The idiot mittens are the ones with the string that go up your arm and around your neck. And the only cool thing about it is if you talk in the left hand, you can listen in the right. Hello? How do you That's all right. Fine. Find another kid with idiot mittens on, you run up, you pull his left mitten, and he smacks himself in the face with the right. <laughs> yeah, I used to love to do that, boy. And we all stood in that line crying. Oh, where are we going? We're going to die. You're going to get us killed. And the next day, I was very cool. Goodbye, mother. Take care of yourself, won't you, dear? I should be home, oh, 12, 30, quarter to one, somewhere around there. Might be late, I may have a little milk with the boys, you know what I mean? Tell Dad I'll see him around dinner time. Now, once they get you inside, they're lost. They got nothing for you to do because you're only five and you're too dumb to care about anything else. They try, though, you know. One and one is two. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Right, yeah, cool, man. One and one is two. Yeah, right. What's a two? don't care, man. So then, she takes, so then, they, they try these other things, basic things. No, no chairs in kindergarten. Everything's done on the floor. Sit on the floor, stand on the floor, you go home on the floor, everything's in a circle on the floor. So you can look at each other. Little ugly kids with pointed heads. <laughs> and you beat time to Mozart. ta dun da dun boom. How long do we have to keep this up? I don't know. Go another 10 minutes. We'll beat her to death with these sticks, all right? <laughs> then she says, okay, children, it's time for a snack. Great! Now you're talking. Yeah, snack. I want a Hershey bar. Me too. Give me a baby room. Right. No such luck. She brought out a box and gave us each an old, dried-up, brown, nasty-tasting, gag you, stick-in-the-throat graham cracker. <laughs> And you gotta pray for something to wash it down. Please, we're gonna die if you don't give us something soon. We got the hiccups and everything, please. She said, certainly. Went over, got a case of milk that's been sitting on the radiator for about 80 years. <laughs> Nothing in the world better for a bunch of five-year-old kids than good old lukewarm, curdly milk. <laughs> yes, sir, we loved it. And the straws in kindergarten are the worst things in the world. Worst straws I've ever seen. They're good for one suck. You <laughs> and that's it. Flat as a piece of paper. You're sitting up at... Then to top it off, she says, okay, it's time for a nap. Yeah, there's nobody in the world anymore wide awake at 11 o'clock in the morning and a bunch of five-year-old kids. 23 kids on 23 cots sleeping wide awake. <laughs> Only one sleeping is the teacher. She's gone. Thank God for this break, boy. I'm telling you I graduated from that into the first grade. I always wanted to get into the first grade because you have your own desk in the first grade and that's just a part of being cool, man. Yeah, because I remember there was one guy that was just as old as the rest of us and his name was Richard, man. Richard was cool because he had his own desk. They skipped Richard because he could tie his own tie, you know. 
They used to bring them up, bring them up before the assembly progress and the president of the school say, I will now have Richard tie his tie for you. Yeah, yes, yeah, go Rich, yeah. yeah. Rich was cool, man. We used to pass by the room, man, and peep in the first grade and see them all in there sitting at their desk. You can see Rich, we try to make Rich laugh. We make faces at him. Hey, Rich. <laughs> Rich scared to laugh because he get a beating, you know. Now I got my own desk. Ta-dum! I love this desk. Of course, they all look alike, but I gotta find out how to find my own. First, I don't want anybody to know that I'm not cool finding my desk. I sit down at my desk, look around. I know this is my desk because I sit in front of Crying Charlie. <laughs> crying Charlie's got the coolest cry in the world, man. You can't hardly hear him or nothing. He just opens up his mouth <laughs> and tears roll down his face and everything, man. I know this is it, because I sit in front of him. So every time I come in to the room, I just look for Crying Charlie, and I sit right in front of him. Of course, if Crying Charlie's absent, I don't know where I'm going to sit. You know? <laughs> Crying Charlie's absent, I go to his house and sit in front of him. You know? Yeah, got to fold my hands on top of the desk so the teacher will know what I'm doing. Got some initials on the top of the desk here. Somebody carved them all the way through to the floor. So when you write on your paper, you rip it. <laughs> Got an inkwell. Yeah, boy, they still don't trust us though. No ink in it. Afraid we'll drink it. And I would too, man. Ink is cool to drink, boy. Hey, drink ink about 325, go home with a blue tongue. Used to make my mother faint. Ma, yeah, look. <laughs> my mother was cool, man. She would faint for anything, boy. I used to get hit in the head with a rock, cover up the blood, wait till I get right up on her. Ma, look. Wow. <laughs> we go, Ma, cool, yeah. She got me back one day, though. I was playing with my navel. You know, oh, navel, navel. My mother said, all right, keep playing with your navel. Pretty soon you're gonna break it wide open. The air is gonna come right out of your body. You'll fly around the room backwards for 30 seconds land. You'll be flat as a piece of paper. Nothing but your little eyes bugging out. Keep it up. I used to carry band-aids with me in case I'd have an accident. Gonna learn to uh, write in the first grade now. They give you this paper, grade triple Z. Grade triple Z paper with wood still in it. Big hunks of wood still floating around in it. You gotta write around the hunks of wood. And the lines are about eight feet apart. They don't want you to miss getting in between them lines, man. Don't want you to start crying. They give you these pencils as big as a horse's leg. And you rest them on your shoulder as you write. A, B, may I have another piece of paper, please? I will, I I learned the correct procedure for going to the bathroom in the first grade. You just don't raise your hand and, you know, say, may I be excused? You have to let one finger go up. If you want to do one thing, you want to do anything else, you have to let it see two fingers. Case of a tie, two wins out over one. For well, the longest time, I told the truth. If I had to go, the old one. And then one day it hit me. I was in the bathroom playing the soap dish game. Seven nothing, favor me. And it hit me, now what's she gotta know what I'm in here doing for? It's none of her business whether I'm one in it or two in it. That's why they put doors on the bathroom so nobody'll know if you're one in it or two in it in here. 
And it's not bad enough that the teacher knows I'm one and that the whole class knows I'm one. You go back in the classroom, people say, how was it? One <laughs> So I just started lying after that. You know, hey, if I had the one, one, <laughs> they think I'm one in it. Yeah. Then I felt guilty and I'd go back and tell the truth. You know that one? Yes, it was really a two. I just... She wrote it down in a book, Bill Cosby did two twos and three ones today. I got an A in bathroom going. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! 
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. It's time for the Tom Sumner 